630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Golden Knights beat Chicago 4-3 in overtime. Riley Smith at 7-13 of OT. Golden Knights go up 2-0 in the series. Patrick Kane had three assists for the Blackhawks. Start of the second period, Boston with a 1-0 lead in the game on the Hurricanes. They also lead the series 1-0 earlier. Columbus evening up the series with the Lightning, scoring a 3-1 victory in that game. Murray, Bjorkstrand, and Wenberg scoring for Columbus. Kucherov had the only goal for Tampa Bay and in about an hour and a half at Rogers Place game two Calgary and Dallas Flames are up one nothing in that series 7804960063 is the number to call or text well we got a couple songs coming in Kellen so yep. we'll have to play those a little bit later on always fun well obviously the sports world thrown into disarray with the pandemic the National Hockey League has been in the bubble the NBA in the bubble Major League Baseball trying to go with a shortened season with uh, less than stellar results in that so far. A lot of games have had to be postponed. And we've talked a lot about the university story on, uh, on this show, the U of a, uh, you know, cut out the whole year, but now they're going to be able to do hockey after Christmas. And uh, we'll see how, how that goes. There's still the chance Canada West could cancel the entire season. And we should check in with junior football, usually something that we uh, really ramp up talking about at this time of year. But of course, it is greatly affected as well. And we're, we're pleased to have both Edmonton junior football coaches on the line. Darcy Park from the Wildcats. Hey, Darcy, how are you doing? Good, Reed. How are you? Doing very well. And Ian McLean from the Huskies. Ian, good to talk to you. How are things? Things are good, Reed. Good to talk to you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys coming on and, and, and doing it together. And I know you, we've done segments like this before where both you guys have been on at the same time. So I know uh, your rival's on the field, but but uh, appreciate this. You'll, you'll do interviews like this at the same time. Uh, Darcy, I'll start with you. Um, as this process uh, went on, was, was last week's decision kind of uh, inevitable in your mind or, or describe how it played out from your perspective? Well, um, I think it was uh, in terms of just um, all the, the factors that, that go in to be able to return to play and all the variables that, that really, you know, we're not in control of yet. And uh, so I think from the time, you know, we got into uh, April, May, it kind of looked like, uh, you know, those variables weren't changing. So I think uh, when, uh, you know, the season finally got got, got cancelled, uh, it was it was, you know, after a lot of hard work by our our league executives and our team executives and and i think uh we can all be thankful that that they didn't rush and they they tried to find a way to to make something work but again all the variables that were out there just uh that were out of our control it it was kind of uh you know inevitable ian how far along the path uh, if at all was uh, junior football able to talk about a shortened season limiting travel things like that that other leagues are, are trying to make work was that ever uh, a possibility yeah, there was a lot of work over, over quite a few months put into it about looking at the possibility of doing an Alberta-only regular season and then crossing provinces into the playoffs, uh, looking at a variety of different options. And to echo what Darcy said, the league put a lot of work and time into to making sure we could do everything in our power to have a season if possible and not making the call too early, uh, but also making it early enough. And, and I think, I'm not going to speak to Wildcats, but I believe, they, I believe they're the same as us where we were pretty open with our guys about saying this is what you should prepare for, not having guys move before that there was a call made and making sure the guys, their safety and the financial viability of the league was put first. So I, I would echo what Darcy said. I'm very proud of the work the league put into it. 
Darcy, uh, what does this mean for uh, players? Uh, because because what is your age? What's the age limit there? Is it 22 still? Correct. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, the the university football youth sports had their age issue and extending it. Is, has there any, been any talk about that in junior football where if a guy was going to age out this year, could he possibly come back next year or what's the update there? Yeah, I know that the, uh, obviously, again, the, that was part of the process the league was going through before they made the decision. They haven't, uh, to my knowledge, come up with the final solution yet because, um, again, they want to they want to recognize those players who have maybe put four years into a into a program in our league and, and allow them to to have that fifth year where um, you know generally they they tend to have some success and maybe open up some opportunities to move on uh, after after junior. Um, so again, you know they have to look at everything because you know then you look at the fifth year kid gets his eligibility reinstated and the fourth year player now going into his fifth year does it. Um, so again, it's it's one of those things where it just uh, continues to kind of uh, roll down, and then again, the league is doing its due diligence and trying to find the best solution for for everyone. Ian, will any team activities be permitted or be possible? I know from talking to some of the university teams that aren't playing, their coaches still might try to have exhibition games and run practices and and do team activities. What about for you guys? I mean, football, as we're used to seeing it, I would say no. Uh, the the financial requirements, the safety requirements to be even able to practice in pads are, are pretty significant. Um, one of the things that people don't really pay attention to sometimes, it's not just the players being in cohorts, but you have to have coaches in cohorts. So, for, for instance, as a head coach, I would only be able to have one cohort I went to. That would tie into trainers. That would tie into everything. So... The possibility of doing a, an in-pad season um, probably limited, but doing team activities, keeping some sort of a structure for the players, that's our goal, that's our intention, but but only if safety is a priority and only if we can make sure that we're not only protecting our players, but we're protecting their family they're going home to. Um, their, their coworkers are going to work with every day to make sure that we're doing things to be productive, but also safe health-wise and financial viability. That's Ian McLean, head coach of the Edmonton Huskies. Also have Darcy Park, head coach of the Edmonton Wildcats on the line. The two coaches for the uh, Edmonton teams in the Prairie Football Conference. There will not be uh, junior football this fall because of the pandemic. So guys, look, I, I, I'm sure um, you guys always hope to have as many fans coming to games as you can. And, and you have some uh, you know, very important local sponsors that are involved as well. Um, like is just does everything just kind of go on hold and then you hope everything can come back next year and i'm not expecting you to go heavily into team finances but i i, I do think it's part of the story you know i'll start i'll start with you on this one so i think that's the entire discussion point for for all football right now not just junior so obviously that's our focus Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's maintaining that momentum of a game that is so important. And with junior football, a game that is so critical to the development of players, not just as, as football players, which is obviously important, but also as people. Uh, so trying to make sure that we're doing things to expand our fundraising. Because as you know, and many people know, the 50-50 is, is very much the lifeblood of our organizations. And with the CFL season being on pause and not sure what's happening with that, we have to make sure that we're financially viable and consistent to be able to offer that opportunity to, to players and to make sure that they have a chance to not just grow as football players, but in their education and as people. So we're, we're doing a lot of planning and, and going and looking outside the box to make sure that we can 
sustain ourselves for this shortened non-year uh, and be ready to come into next season because we don't know what's going to happen in the future because as we've all noticed, what's re- what's the reality one day is a very different reality the next day when it comes to the pandemic and how people react and even what people are going to be comfortable doing. So it's it's something that is absolutely top of mind. Yeah. Darcy, does this change? Well, I'm sure it does, but I'll allow you to expand on it. Just recruiting and making sure you have wildcats for for next season and who i i don't even know what's happening necessarily with high school sports and high school football so I, I, where are you going to kind of find guys and make sure you have players for the return in 2021 yeah the as the AAA just came out and, and kind of give their stipulations for how they wanted it so basically for high school they're they're going to be allowed to go in school um practices only so again no competitions but uh, be allowed to run it um in terms of recruiting um, again, Ian and I and, uh, you know, most of the coaches already have a pretty firm uh, grasp of, of, you know, what's coming out. But again, it's just being able to, um, like we said, keep our, our current players um, invested in the program and, and not have any players kind of take this year off and, and figure it's time to move on. Obviously, you know, it's a great game, as, as like Ian was saying. And um, for a lot of kids, you know, it's one of those sports that, you know, you can only play when you're young, and and for for most of us, it ends at a at a you know at a finite time, and um, you never get that back. Um, so again, we want to make sure that we're keeping our players invested, and and we're going to run some uh, again cohort group stuff where we can continue to to build on their skills and and uh, you know just keep them invested in the program. And and again, once we get into uh, what's allowed, um, you know, through Alberta Health Services and and our league then we can kind of plan but as of right now it's you know everything is still so up in the air and, and that's kind of a difficult part where we're used to being able to organize and plan and, and set set up our calendar for a year uh that's just not the case um you know we we're not even sure whether we're going to be able to run our our winter workouts as we used to run so um there's a whole bunch of things that again are are uh, still yet to be determined but you know we're gonna work through it and and again with all confidence that ultimately you know the authorities uh, and and our the executive of our league are going to make the decisions that you know keep everyone healthy. Yeah, well, I appreciate you guys giving the update, and uh, certainly you, you both sound very you know positive about how it was handled. Even though I, I know it's ultimately a, a tough decision, you guys uh, are the experts on this, obviously. So before I go, is there anything important that you would want uh, listeners to hear or fans of the of the Huskies and Wildcats to know? Uh, just either of you want to jump in. Well, I can go first. I was—I I think we texted when the season was canceled. We were all hoping for a long Oilers playoff run to kind of take our minds off it. So, just a disappointment with that read. Yeah. <laughs> Have you Fair heard enough. that yet? I—I—I <laughs> I, 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 I heard they were eliminated. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, you're—are you good? Uh, yeah, I would say this. I mean, there are people that are very passionate about this league. There's people with with sons and and people that are playing in this league or involved in this league. It's tough. You get a year and some places longer than a year of building up and being excited for something. And, and whether you're a player or a coach, it's tough. And that's not just for junior football, but that's anybody who lost a high school graduation or a volleyball season, potentially, you you name it. So just making sure you're checking on, on the, the coaches and the players and making sure they have that support because it is a big part of people's life. And they mean, we're, we're going out with positive attitude, but it's okay that this kind of stinks right now. And we just need to make sure we're supporting each other and, and really developing that community of support for everybody who's had things taken away from them. And it's just making sure that you're support, we're all supporting each other in this. Well, well let me ask you guys this. Like how much 
how many people per organization and maybe it might vary from team to team but if i if you include all the volunteers and i'm going to include even i assume there are some billet families and people who take tickets at the games or like like we're talking dozens if maybe even into the into the low hundreds would it not that just help make your two organizations go i mean if you eliminate the players you're looking at probably I would say close to 100 people in some capacity are working their tails off year-round in some different capacity to make sure that there is a viable league and viable teams. So it's, it's, the players are obviously, for, for most, for the most part, the forefront of it. But there's a lot of people that have, have lost that. And it's, um, it's something that we just need to keep that momentum going and keep people engaged and, again, supporting each other. All right. I appreciate you guys coming on. I wish we were talking to you guys and your players throughout the year about games, but uh, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll have to do that Do that next year. Darcy, Ian, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for uh, making time, too, to come on together. Really appreciate it, and all the best. Stay in touch, guys. Yeah, thanks, Reed. Right on. That is Ian McLean, head coach of the Edmonton Huskies, and Darcy Park, the head coach of the Edmonton Wildcats, and unfortunately no junior football in Edmonton in Canada this fall. And uh, they told the story. They tried to, to work it out, but it just wasn't going to make sense to do it. And uh, so many people involved in those organizations, like they were talking about in the end, behind the scenes and helping out and doing any, any little thing to keep those organizations going. So they'll be back. I think they'll be back strong. Tough to not have them playing any games for sure. 780-496-0063 is how you can reach us. Well, we got a couple song requests coming back from commercial. We'll have to try to get in. We're going to visit. I'm looking forward to talking to this guy. I uh, haven't talked to him in a while. J.J. Haber is going to be on the show, former director of communications for the Oilers. He's part of an exciting new venture. That story's coming up. Here's a classic. Is this one of our requests? It is. Do you know who sent this in? No, they didn't leave a name. An anonymous texture. Oh, even more mysterious. Remember when Bart had this played in church on The Simpsons? Yeah. That was funny. All right. I'm just going to leave the room now for the next 17 minutes. And yeah, we'll just play the whole song and leave early. 780-496-0063. It's also our number to call in. And I believe we have Michael standing by on the line. Michael, I'm in my basement. Where are you tonight? Um, heading back from uh, Edmonton, trying to get home before my uh, Costco cheesecake goes bad. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, drive safe, but thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Yeah, I just, uh, when you had John Garrett and, uh, well, you always have Kelly Rudy on. Uh, good to hear him. But the next, like, the next time you have a Kelly on, ask him, like, what I don't understand is how goaltenders, when they are, when they're facing a slap shot to the glove side, like top of the circle slap shot, clear shot of the puck, how they miss it, how they get beat glove side into the net, like like I like it to, to like playing slow pitch. Like if I get Kelly Rudy playing first base for me and I throw it hard to his glove side, is he gonna miss it? Like. You know what I'm well, saying? that's 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 an interesting way to put it. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I could I could ask him something about yeah, technique or anticipating shots. I, I mean, I, I I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but as we know, NHL shooters can shoot it pretty hard and and uh, and pretty accurately. The the one that gets me, Michael and Kelly and I have talked about this, and we saw it on Koskinen, we saw it on Talbot. Sometimes I've seen it in the playoffs. Is the pucks at a bad angle and goaltenders go down? Like Petrie scored, uh, which game was that Petrie scored on Murray? Right from in that the bad... top corner? Yeah, was it game two or three? And the, the goalie was, I think it was Murray, was just down waiting for the shot, but he's leaving the top part of the net open, and then a lot of shooters can can put it up there. It, that's something different that I think has come up in the last, you know, few years or so. But I, I can I can ask him a glove side question if you want, sure. Well, well, for sure. Ask him. Ask him if he plays slow pitch. Does he miss miss balls playing slow pitch? <laughs> well, or, but you're you're not throwing it as hard as a shot, though. <laughs> well, maybe you are. <laughs> well, not not myself, but but like granted, like he's wearing a mask. But I mean, baseball catchers wear a mask, and they seem to manage okay. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. What and, what did uh, you think? What what did you think of the series overall? Was it goaltending to you, or was it other things? Good thing you asked. I'm very disappointed. Like, you know, Koskin had, throughout the season had a better goals against average, better save percentage. And why did why did he not start game one? Like what like did the regular season numbers mean nothing? Well really and also out about that. Yeah, I think I think we're criticizing Tip about a couple of things. And and I, I like Kosk here's another thing. Koskinen outplayed Smith in training camp. So that surprised me a little. I mean, the last two important scrimmages they had, they remember they played that Wednesday night game that started at 8 or 8.30 at the downtown rink, and then they had the Colby Cave game. I mean, Smith gave up 14 goals in those two games, and Costin gave up four. So Yeah, like, I know, like, uh, that's the that's tip. Like, he, he has experience with Smith, and he likes the guy, but friendship should not come in the way of... Uh, putting the better goaltender in game one and if he let in those two bad goals they, why didn't he pull them early Michael or, enjoy the cheesecake okay thank you very much for calling okay thanks that is Michael 780-496-0063 Boston up one nothing on Carolina halfway through the second period we'll check some other scores visit with JJ Bear when we get back McDavid expected to hold a media availability tomorrow. He and Nurse in Yamamoto scheduled to speak, so we'll have the relevant clips for you tomorrow night on Inside Sports. All right, uh, six and a half left in the second period. Boston leading Carolina 1-0. The Golden Knights beat Vegas 4-3 in overtime. Riley Smith got the winner, so they lead the series 2-0. Blue Jackets knock off the Lightning 3-1. Series is tied 1-1. Flames and Stars coming up in about an hour at Rogers Place. The texter who requested uh, Inagata DeVita by Iron Butterfly is named Derek. He's written back. He goes, LOL, I'm a first-time texter to your show, not even much of a sports fan, but I had raw meat on my hands and couldn't change the station. Hey, uh, Reed, why do you think people listen to your show? Oh, they got blood on their hands, can't change the station. <laughs> hey, we'll take it, Derek. Thanks for tuning in and participating. He's probably washed his hands by now and just changed the, changed the station. But uh, that's life. 
Hey, well, if he did, he's going to miss a really fun guest here. I am pleased to catch up with a guy I used to deal with uh, on an almost daily basis during Oilers seasons. Used to be the director of communications with the team. J.J. Hebert is on the line. J.J., you're on with Reed. How are you doing, buddy? I'm great, Reed. Thanks for having me on. How are things going there? I'm doing all right. Plug it away uh, in my basement, so it's a little it's a little different, but the, sh- the show is still on. Uh, I'm glad to talk to you again. Uh, we, we've spoken a couple times uh, uh, since you parted ways with the Oilers organization, but how, how long were you with the team, all told? Uh, I was there for 16 years, and 16 amazing years, and I had a great time, a lot of great experiences, got a chance to work with some incredible people, uh, many who I still stay in touch with, and uh, I know the the hub, uh, the hub life there was a big undertaking for OEG, and and I think so far they've, you know, with the exception of the Oilers losing out, they've certainly done an exceptional job and are are really helping Edmonton get on the map. And uh, you know, the Ice District and Rogers Place uh, has been a big part of that. Well, I, you know, that that kind of leads me to, to to talking about something. One of the biggest things you covered, and just. I mean, you, you did a lot of things, but the relationship you and I would have had professionally is, hey, JJ, I have this story idea. Could I could I talk to this player? Uh, you guys traded this guy. Could the GM come on the show? Could I get the new player? That was the nuts and bolts of it. There, there was more intricacies, but just to give people you know, a background of how we would have dealt with each other. With the Hub City, the NHL is has sort of taken on some of the media relations responsibilities that usually the team would have, not all of them, but some of them. So 2006 was this incredible run for the Oilers. When, as you got deeper into the playoffs, did the league say, okay, JJ, like we want to control this now, or did you have to share some of the responsibility? I'm just wondering how that played out from your end. You know, I can see the hub being a a league driven event. And, uh, you know, I know the Oilers staff have been, working hand-in-hand with those guys, you know, Andre Brin and, and Sean May and and the communications team. Um, but, yeah, thinking back to 06, I mean, to be honest, a bit of it was a blur. I was fairly young and had taken over the department, and here we are going all the way to the Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, and I thought, man, this is a pretty good gig if it's going to be like this all the time. <laughs> and uh, so, But I do remember the league as you get it further into the rounds, and I think it was into the third round and then into the finals where they come in and, you know they they do things right and and they like to have some control and um, it was it was good to get a chance to be able to work with some of their staff some of which are still there with the league Gary Mahar and and Jamie Horan and so on and um, yeah there's certain protocols and and things that you need to abide by and certain expectations that they like to have as as the National Hockey League and uh, you know we were able to accommodate you know Rexall Place although it was old it was pretty functional and. Um, well, as you know, you spent a lot of time there. You you lived down in that booth down below, not too far from my office in the dressing room. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it was a great learning experience. And, and we think we had over 300 accredited media at one point. And um, those were busy days, but they were fun days because the team was right in the thick of it. When, when you guys won the draft lottery and, and then drafted McDavid, um, did that change... Because, look, there's a crew that I would be part of that we're there every day, win or lose, no matter who you draft. When McDavid, and I know you had other top picks and high picks, but when McDavid came on board, did that change the demands from the NBCs or the Sports Illustrateds or the whatever publications of the world? Like, was that a shift for you? Yeah, 100%. I mean, having a player of his caliber and, and stature coming into Edmonton and, 
it really raised the bar and our profile and and brought a lot of additional work but it was good work because it was attention for not only connor and and his brand but for the oilers and the city I was at the lake um, about to have dinner with some friends when, when the lottery went down. And just to put it in perspective, I, I didn't even make it to the fire that night because my, I was so busy. My, my phone had never been that busy as it was that night. Um, and moving forward from that point on, I mean, it was just, it was a whole new ball game with the amount of calls we would get. And as you alluded to, the, you know, different, larger outlets, worldwide outlets, uh, you know, normally we just deal with North American and, and, and local, and now we had people calling from all over the world wanting to do interviews and so on, and that's carried on, and they still handle that with, with guys like Connor, and Leon's really taking the game globally. Um, so it's uh, it's nice to have that attention, and, uh, you know, it's nice to be able to have the athletes who are able to help build themselves and, and your team and organization. J.J. Bear joining us tonight on Inside Sports, uh, former director of communications for the Oilers, as he was telling you there for 16 years through uh, some pretty significant moments in the in the franchise's history. And you've been a part of other significant Canadian hockey moments. And one of my favorite images of you, and, uh, I, I, well, I'm laughing and smiling talking about it because it's so cool to, to picture you there. Uh, Sidney Crosby's golden goal. Tell us about... Uh, the goal being scored in the next five to ten minutes of your life in Vancouver on that day? Well, I'll never forget it. Uh, again, what a great opportunity I had to work with Team Canada uh, at the Olympics and, and the staff there. And I, I don't handle things overly uh, well when it comes to you know the nitty-gritty uh, when games are tight, including the playoff run in 06 and the playoffs a few years ago. Um, but in, in Vancouver, I just we had the Canucks dressing room, and I walked around the dressing room. I didn't watch the screen, just kind of listened to the crowd, and I was just pacing around different areas of the dressing room, and all of a sudden I heard the horn, and I just went running out to the bench and celebrated for what seemed like not very long, and then boom, back to work. Okay, here we go, and uh, you know we're on the ice, and, and there's interviews that are happening, and you know, you're trying to let guys take it all in. And at the same time, you know, you have to remember you have a job to do and a message to deliver. And um, working with guys like Sid certainly made that easy, but something I'll never forget. Well, and then he, it, who, was it Rashog he did the interview with? I think kind of down in the corner there? Because that seems to be my memory of you getting him over yeah, for that. Guys, taking guys down to the uh, to the Zambonian. And I, I right. can't even remember. I mean, I know Ryan was there and, and part of that, but I don't remember who I took him to. And I mean, there was multiple players that had to go do things, but certainly. And I still have a picture on my my office at home of of myself with Sid walking on the ice, and um, what a cool moment. How is uh, how how is dealing with the media different at the Olympics than day to day in the NHL? I mean, I guess maybe there's potential for perhaps more languages and things like that. But is it is it struct the interaction structured differently? Yeah, very, very different. You know, the NHL, you have, you know, five minutes after a game or practice to open up the dressing room, as you know, um, and guys are out and about doing different things, whether it's treatments or refueling or coach 
concessions or whatever. Um, in the international game, you have to have a mixed zone. So as soon as the guys come off the ice, so at the Olympics, for instance, you couldn't just leave the bench at the end of a game and go, go behind the bench and back into your room. You had to go out through Zamboni end and weave your way through a bunch of different um, sections of the mix zone. First part would be rights holders. Then it would turn into um, print. Then it would turn into uh, radio and, and everybody else. And um, I remember when we beat the Russians, they just went blazing through. It was a kind of pipe and drape, and they would just go running right through all the pipe and drape, and they didn't do any interviews. And I remember it was a lot of people were pissed off and and. Pavel Datsuk was the one guy that he came back out and made sure that he, you know, faced the music. And um, but it's certainly a different, a different procedure and and kind of almost forced to have to do it. You ha- you don't have to stop, but it's highly encouraged. And again, that's when you're speaking to the media and you're you're speaking to your fans and everybody across now, you know, social media and different platforms, right? Yeah, I, I don't expect you to throw anybody under the bus by name, but there must have been instances with the Oilers where maybe a player said, not today, or God, I'm minus four, like really? But you got to tell them, hey man, to go suck it up and do it for three minutes? Oh, for sure. I mean, you and I would have had some of those conversations uh, over the years, right? Where, yeah. you know, people, you forget that they're human and I get, I understand that they play a game and it's, you know, it's uh, highly scrutinized. We're all, I'm on the other side of the fence now yelling at the TV, I find. And, well, why do we do this? It's so easy, right? And then, you know, these guys have a human side to them. And um, I was very fortunate, you know, over my time to have many great uh, players and, and, and humans, um, you know, who I still talk to. And Ryan Smith and Jason Smith reached out the other day. And, um, you know, Andy Sutton and, and a whole bunch of other guys have been, uh, great people to work for and that makes the PR director's job easy and, and as you know you, you get to develop relationships with them too and you have your favorites who you like to talk to or who are very articulate and you have other guys who you know are a little more uh, you know short when they do interviews and um, it's uh, I won't throw anybody under the bus no but there are certainly some challenges over my time <laughs> yeah uh, fair enough but uh, mo- most guys uh most guys are great, and I mean, I—you I, might even remember this. Uh, ben, when Benoit Pouliot was there, I wanted to interview him about something, and uh, it might have even been you that said he just can't today because uh, he has to go pick up somebody, and and uh, he, he wasn't. But but you said he will do it tomorrow, and I walked into the dressing room the next day after practice, and Benoit walked right up to me and said. Let's go. Let's go record this interview. So yeah, guys are, are pretty classy like that for the most part. Hey, you got I'm some exciting. I'm surprised that one actually happened because trying to find Pooley after a game or practice, he was like he had a cannon in his locker. He was out of there so fast, but he was uh, definitely one of those guys that uh, he was hard at times to. He did wasn't overly comfortable with the media, but he he has a really good head on his shoulders, and, and that's a good example of the kind of character that he had. All right, hey, JJ, you're you're doing some exciting stuff. Do you want to stay on the line, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that after the break? I'd love to update people. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Right on. Carolina now leading Boston two one late in the second period. More with JJ Bear when we get back. All 
right, Boston scored a power play goal with five seconds left in the second period. So 2-2, Carolina and Boston after two. Hey, don't forget about our 6.30 Chad Kids Jersey a Day giveaway sponsored by Mr. Mike's Steakhouse Casual. They're the official restaurant sponsor of Inside Sports. All this week, we're giving you the chance to win your kid an Oilers jersey from United Cycle. Now, you have to get the the daily code word, which today is Kyler Yamamoto, and go to 630Ched.com and enter Kyler Yamamoto on the contest page under the appropriate contest, and we'll have another uh, code word tomorrow for another chance to win. Thanks to Mr. Mike's and United Cycle for that. J.J. Bears on the line, uh, 16 years as the uh, Oilers Director of Communications, so he and I uh, always were dealing with each other throughout, uh, I guess, the last half of your tenure there. And now you're uh, you're on to a new adventure, J.J. Tell us uh, a little bit uh, about Silent Ice Sports and Entertainment. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, I'm really uh, enjoying a new opportunity that I have. Uh, you know, I had a good chance to meet with um, Lindsay and, and Dan McKelt and Mark Cronowit. Uh, I don't know. I think it was before Christmas where we started talking and things have kind of evolved. And I've now been with the group for, for a couple months and I'm really enjoying it. And, uh, you know, Silent Ice has their hands in many different uh, uh, adventures and, and teams and, and media including the Seattle Thunderbirds in the Western League and the Spruce Grove Saints of the Alberta Junior League, the the Stony Plain Eagles, and um, the Hockey Super League, which is uh, a 1,500-athlete minor hockey development system that's really, really exploded in the three years that it's been around, heading into its fourth season. Um, you know, we have a charter executive charter bus company that we uh, that are really busy throughout the winter months and really trying to get that business going in the in the summer months with trips to the mountains and golf excursions and and so on. And um, there's lots there's lots there. And and they they brought me in as vice president of business development, and it's been it's been an interesting experience. Uh, really lets me expand my portfolio, and I, I've worked really hard to build up a network in Edmonton and I'm very fortunate for the people that I've, I've worked with and been able to associate myself with throughout my time with the Oilers. And, um, you know, now I'm, I'm looking at building business uh, for, for Silent Ice and really enjoying it. Like I said, I, I've been in Spruce Grove uh, a fair bit over the last couple of months and I quickly learned how passionate people there are about, about uh, their team in that city and um, you know, our partners, our sponsors are, are behind that team a lot. And I kind of joke with people that they, they've won five league championships um, in the last 10 years. Them and Brooks have been winning the AJ, it seems, uh, year in and year out. And uh, having a winning team on the ice there and uh, in the Grand Fury Arena, I don't know how when's the last time you're out there, but a really cool old barn and, and, a, and a great team on the ice. And Rob Skorooks, our general manager, he's been there for four years, and he's done a great job. And he's uh, he's a former Eagle. I hear he was one of the best men's league players out there. And he's got a real uh, a real passion for the game, and, and he can be a pretty serious guy at times, and he loves what he does. And, you know, Bram Stevens uh, been around there now, and, and he's a great coach, and uh, the kids really like him. So, uh, you know, Saints-wise, it's, there's a lot of that under my umbrella when it comes to the business side of, of what happens there but uh you know really thankful that for dan and Lindsay and, and mark to give me this opportunity and like the oilers you know uh, the big factors for me were the people you know we have great leadership um and just the opportunity that was in front of me so i'm very thankful to be out there working and hoping like everybody that COVID will go away and let everybody get back to normal and business as usual 
Yeah, for sure. Well, and as, and as you know, I used to cover the AGHL. And this, is, is, is it all Spruce Grove and Brooks over the last decade? Have they split it? As far as, as, far as I know, it's five and five. Jeez, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the Saints and uh, a lot of connections there through uh, OEG, right? Because Steve Hamilton coached the Saints. Yeah, um, was there. Matt Benning, Dylan yeah. Simpson. Um, there's, there has been lots, and, you know, that just... You know, people want to be around winners and, and the Saints organization and, and certainly since Dan and Lindsay have taken over, um, you know, people people tend to, you know, want to be around winners and, you know, it's all about culture and that's something that that, that group really believes in. Well, and Stoney playing uh, the Eagles too. I mean, I, I still try to follow the AAA hockey as much as I can and obviously a lot of hockey stuff got derailed, but the Allen Cup and uh, that one of the highlights of my career, I got to do play-by-play. In, uh, this isn't a great memory for Stoney fans because they didn't wind up winning the tournament, but they did a great job in uh, 07 hosting the Allen Cup and I did play-by-play for the Lloyd Border Kings who uh, who won the tournament. So a lot of connections here that, uh, that we're going through. Uh, JJ, before I let you go, uh, I should have asked you this off the top. Uh, I, I mean, an, a, an amazing career for you, and, you, and you're still going along. You mentioned 16 years with the Oilers. How does somebody uh, get a, that job like you had? Like, let people know just kind of how, how you studied and where you started here before I let you go. You know what? I, I was I grew up in Ottawa, and I did a work term placement with the Senators, and that kind of got my foot in the door. And uh, I also. Um, started to work with Molstar Sports and Entertainment way back then, which essentially is like working for Sportsnet or TSN now. And uh, I moved out west to Calgary and continued the Molstar stuff and kept my foot in the door there. And um, I, I just continued to, I did some volunteer work and was always kind of out there. And I got, I was fortunate to get a job in AAA baseball as, as a, uh, as a 20 year old. And I was, you know, in charge of media relations for the Calgary Cannons who would have played against the, the Edmonton oh, wow. Trappers here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that kind of where I, where I uh, was able to kind of get my start and, um, you know, I was young and I lived, you know, almost an hour out of town and it was really kind of helped me develop some, my work ethic and, um, you know, and then I moved, I went to Hockey Canada from there for three years and then I met Bill Tuelli, Kevin Lowe during the old one Olympic camp and ended up coming up here for that job and had a great career here. And now, like I said, with Silent Ice, it's, uh, I'm happy to be able to continue my career, you know, in the sports and entertainment world and our group's looking at doing some big, big things and, um, you know, Dan and Lindsay are passionate guys. They're, they've got, uh, you know, a very good business uh, that they're involved in every day. And then on the hockey side, they're very, very uh, dialed in and want to see, the, you know, development models for kids, uh, you know, with this Hockey Super League um, to take off, which it really has. And, um, you know, they've got a few other irons in the fire when it comes to potential um, you know, a junior developmental system, uh, a new league potentially that'll kind of feed into the AJ and help maintain, uh, you know, high level of play with all of our coaches and, and resources that we have. Ideally, we can keep uh, more players playing in Alberta and, and develop more players in Alberta and make the AJ one of the strongest uh, leagues in Canada. Well, I'm all for that. Love the AJHL. JJ, uh, thanks for catching up tonight, man. This was really fun to talk to you. All the best with Silent Ice and uh, with the things going on in Spruce Grove and, and Stony as well. And thanks for sharing some Oilers memories too, man. Really good to have you on the show. I hope we see each other soon. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity and would love to cross paths here again real soon.
Excellent stuff. J.J. Hebert, so currently with Silent Ice Sports and Entertainment. He's the VP of Business Development and, uh, as we talked about, used to be the Director of Communications for your Edmonton Oilers. Quick update on the scoreboard. Uh, 2-2, Carolina and Boston heading to the third period. Golden Knights beat the Blackhawks 4-3 in overtime, so they lead that series 2-0. Flames and Stars in about 40 minutes. Blue Jackets lead the Lightning, or as part of the, they beat the Lightning 3-1 to tie that series. Kirk Muller will be the Canadians uh, acting head coach for the rest of this round. Claude Julian was taken to hospital with chest pains. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer this evening. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Hey, really appreciate it that you tuned in tonight. My name is Reed. Take care. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.